I told her I was generally not sick. I have vertigo, and she says, sit down. <laughs> Amen. It's so, it's so good to be back in the house of God, especially on Christmas Eve day. You know, we're no different than other pastors in other churches throughout the world. The challenge comes with every special Sunday, theme Sunday, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. You're expected to convey a message based on established verses. My message this morning is the Gospel of Luke, of course, chapter 1, verses 5 to 38. It's the Christmas message. And so you try to come up with something different to distinguish it from all the other sermons that you've ever given, and it's hard. But I was listening to Alistair Begg this past weekend, and he reminded me of something. And he said, sermons are not intended to deliver thoughts you have never heard. They're intended to remind us of what we must never forget. So this morning, welcome visitors, I'm Pastor Dan. The title of my sermon this morning is God's Waiting Room. My text is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 38. You'll notice in the bulletins that there's an insert. Actually, Linda made a little book out of it. It's the text itself, which is lengthy, the sermon outline, and the title, of course. I've selected the NIV as the text because... Since it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, it's for the most part easy for people to follow. So that's what we're using this morning. So as I generally do, please pray with me as I invoke Psalm 1914. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. When you hear these words, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, you know it's that time of year again. That Christmas song makes everybody's list of favorite Christmas songs. The song perfectly captures the anticipation that kids have for this magical time of the year. And of course, you remember these lyrics. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his way. He has loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is going to spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. Everywhere you go, you hear the story of Santa Claus reindeers, sleigh full of toys, and you can smell anticipation and expectation. In fact, it is one of the ways you can tell whether you are younger or older. When you are younger, if you remember, the question you kept asking was, will Christmas ever get here? When you're older, your question becomes, is Christmas here again already? 
There was some anticipation and expectation, at least on the part of some, for the first and real Christmas that took place over 2,000 years ago. Imagine what it must have been like when every Jewish mother's child was told a story even more wonderful and more awe-inspiring than any story of Santa could ever be. It is a story that began with a, pro- with a promise and a prophecy. Genesis 3.15 states, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall strike his heel. For thousands of years, children in Jewish homes were taught that one day God would send a Messiah, a deliverer, someone who would rule not just over them but over the entire world. They even celebrated feasts and holidays in order to keep this in the minds of people and to keep their expectation and anticipation up. But that became part of the problem. The feasts and holidays became the end and not the foreshadowing. Even today they miss the Messiah because they focus on ceremonies. The Galatians, the Ephesians, and the Colossians wanted Jesus, but they wanted to keep the observance of the law together with the feast and holidays in Shabbat, or the Sabbath. Now year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and millennia after millennia, there had been this anticipation and this expectation of the coming Messiah. And the question was asked, is this the year? Would this be the month? Would this be the week? Would this be the day that the Messiah would come? The generations came, and the generations went. And there was no Messiah. For thousands of years, the Jewish people had been in the waiting room, but still, no baby. One of the hardest places to be in life is in the waiting room. Not knowing what the doctor will say, not knowing whether or not the tumor is malignant or benign, not knowing whether it is even cancer or not, not knowing whether you'll get that job, and not knowing whether you'll ever meet that someone that you can spend the rest of your life with. Listen, you have to see the story of Christmas in three dimensions to understand it fully. It begins with a promise that was made almost at the very beginning of time in Genesis. Secondly, it continued with the expectation and the anticipation of that promise to be kept. And third, that prophecy was fulfilled. This is a message for all of us who go through times in a waiting room when we need God to come through, but when it seems like like either God is ignorant and he doesn't know what we want, or he's indifferent and he doesn't care what we want, or he's impotent and he cannot give us what we need. And today we're going to read in a gospel called Luke, where he's going to tell us two stories. One of a really old man and one of a really young woman who are proofs that God always shows up on time. God always keeps his promises and God knows exactly what he's doing. For all of us who find ourselves today in the waiting room or will one day, this is what to remember. Just wait. God is never late. So first in your outline, consider, keep waiting. God is moving. Our text, Luke 1, verses 5 in the NIV. 
It states, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Had you been reading this 2,000 years ago, you would have immediately been saddened by these words. When Luke wrote, in the time of Herod, it would have been like saying in Germany, in the days of Adolf Hitler. See, Herod was a Roman king installed by Caesar, and all of Israel was under the dominating rule of the Roman Empire. The whole landscape was very depressing for the Jewish people. And what was worse was that for 400 years, God had gone silent. For 400 years, not a single prophet spoke a word from God. Not a single miracle was seen by the hand of God, and not even angels. They had all quit showing up. In the glory days of David and Solomon, that was a distant memory. The nation of Israel had changed hands a whopping 25 times. They had become the whipping boys of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. So many people were now giving up on God. They believed and felt that either God had forgotten his promise or God had forsaken his people. Now there was a precious couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we read some high words of praise for them. Luke chapter 1, verse 6, our text states, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were good people. They were godly people. You just don't get any better than righteous and blameless. And unlike many of their friends and their neighbors, they still believed God for his promise of the Messiah. They both held out hope that God was not finished, at least with the nation of Israel. But they, in relation to God, was another story. Luke verse 7 states, But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So there was one blot and one blemish on the record of their lives. They had no children. Now you have to understand that back in that day, if a woman did not have a child, she was considered cursed by God. And many believed that she was barren because of something that she had done wrong. And unfortunately, back in that day, women were always the ones that were blamed, even if if there was no children, even though their lives were filled with holiness and their souls were filled with goodness. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were devoted But they were discouraged, they were despondent, and they doubted what God was doing in their lives. We go on to read that Zechariah was faithfully fulfilling his duties as a priest, and he was given this duty. Twice a year, he would go into the temple and burn incense. And while he was in the temple serving the Lord, this happened. Luke 1, 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Don't miss the significance of this verse. Remember, heaven had gone silent for 400 years. Not a word from God, not a work from God, and not a witness from God for 400 years. And more and more people were saying, God is dead. The dream has died. God's promise is empty. And now to the least likely of people, in the least likely of places, at the least likely of time, this angel shows up to make an announcement 
and sets up a chain of reaction that would change the world forever. And here's the point that you shouldn't miss. The last thing that anyone expected to happen, especially Zechariah, was for an angel to show up and not just speak, but to tell him of something that was about to happen that Elizabeth and Zechariah had long ago felt was absolutely impossible from a physiological and human viewpoint. But God is not bound by physical principles or human perspective. And even though Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for a child, just like Israel had been waiting for Messiah, they are about to learn that they have been in God's waiting room and God is moving. God is never idle, never takes a break, never goes on vacation and is always moving in your life, whether you know it or not. Secondly, in your outline, notice, keep working. God is listening. Elizabeth and Zechariah had been praying for a long time for a child. And we are told repeatedly that they were well advanced in years and very old. In the Greek language, it gives the indication that they were in their 90s. Some were in their 90s. If they married in their mid to early teens, as most couples did in those days, then they had been praying somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 70 years and still no child. Zachariah could have done what a lot of ministers have done. He could have quit the ministry. He could have said, why serve God? What good does it do to be righteous and holy to fulfill my calling if God's not going to answer my prayer? What good is living for him anyway? You've got to give credit to this couple, and especially Zechariah, even though it appeared that God just flat out said no to his request for a child, he was still working for God, and he was still praying to God. And then the angel says this in our text, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Listen to those five extraordinary words. Your prayer has been heard. Remember how long they had been praying for close to 70 years and now this angel is telling them that every word was heard. Have you ever prayed and it seemed like heaven is covered with a steel curtain? You get to thinking your words are like rubber balls bouncing off concrete walls. Do you ever pray and it seems as if you're talking to her yourself or just talking to a wall? Remember this, God is listening, God hears prayer. What this angel tells him should have been music to his ears. He tells them they're going to have a son, and they are to name that son John. Listen as I read Luke 1, 13 to 17, which states, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen? God did not just answer their prayer. 
He didn't just give them what they asked for. He gave them something even better than they had asked for. He said their son would be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. He would never know a day when he did not have the Spirit of God. And all the years of sadness will be replaced with a gladness they could never have ever manufactured. And that baby would turn many in Israel back to the Lord. Listen, you may give up on God, but God never gives up on you. Israel had turned their back on God because they thought God had turned his back on them. We have to know that God never turns his back on us because he's working and listening to bring us back to him in those times, especially when we may doubt and even disbelieve him. And how does Zechariah respond? Well, our text, verse 18, tells us, he says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Think about this. Here is an angel of God telling him he's going to have a baby. And he still doesn't believe it. Now all of you husbands, take note. Zechariah may be a righteous man, but he's not very smart. He says, I am old. But my wife is well along in years. In other words, he's saying, I am old, but I still think I'm up to it. But my wife is so old, Moses is in her high school yearbook. (laughs) Guys, I'm just glad that Elizabeth wasn't around to hear that. See, there's a lesson here. When you're either talking to your wife or about your wife, Be as wise as an owl, but as harmless as a dove. For example, it was during the season of gaining weight. And after Christmas, a wife had put on a brand new dress and looked at her husband, and she asked a question that could bring instant death. She said, honey, do I look fat in this dress? The husband thought for a moment, pointed to his shirt and said, Do I look stupid in this shirt? (laughs) Zachariah does have a point. He said, look, the ground is no longer fertile. The seed is no longer fresh. The farmer is no longer full of energy, and yet you're going to tell me that we can expect a crop? Listen to the angel's response. Luke 1, 19 to 20. It states, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. He calls a technical on Zechariah and he makes him take a time out and shuts his mouth until the day that this little baby is born. And listen to the last words that Gabriel said, which will come true at their appointed time. At their appointed time. God had this day marked on his calendar before Elizabeth and Zechariah were even born. He had been listening to every prayer. He had heard every word. He had been moving in the events of the world and in the hearts of the rulers in power to bring both Zechariah and Elizabeth and Israel to this point in time. 
And I want you to learn this and never forget it. God does not always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But when he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, it's what we would have wanted all along. It's just a warm-up. And this baby is going to have the major function of being the forerunner for that Messiah. That Messiah that was promised thousands of years ago. It was God's plan all along. God fulfills his plan by keeping his promises. God's plan for the world and for my life and your life is to keep his promise, to send his Savior twice. First, to redeem us. That's already taken place. And once to rule over us. Now, there is one other person still to be considered in this story that gives us something else to remember when we are in the waiting room. And that is, thirdly, in your outline, consider to keep watch. God is coming. Six months after this conversation with Zechariah takes place, our text, Luke 1, 26, 28, states, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Listen, Gabriel is back again. I would have loved to have his frequent flyer miles. (laughs) There is one thing you can know. If an angel shows up and talks to you, it's a good day. If you get Gabriel... It's going to be a really good day. Listen, does he ever have good news for this virgin teenage girl? Our text, Luke 1, 30 to 33 states, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. We will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In verse 33, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, this young girl has never physically known a man, and she's going to have a baby. And that promise is even harder to believe than Zacharias. Here is a teenage virgin girl illiterate, a nobody from a nobody family, from a nobody town. And she isn't just going to have a baby, she's going to have the Messiah of the Jewish nation, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings who will rule his kingdom that will never end. There hadn't been a king in Israel for 600 years, and the nation was now under the domination of the most powerful empire in the world, and now the womb of this illiterate, poor, peasant girl was going to become a palace that would give birth to the king of all kings and the king of all kingdoms. And from the time that God first lit the sun and hung it in the sky and created the first man and woman, from the time that first man and woman blew it all and rebelled against God, God had a plan to bring the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the Redeemer, and he would do it through a virgin teenager. 
And it's only natural to ask the same question Mary did. Luke 34 states, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Physiologically, we don't understand how this could happen. But listen, the angel gives a theological answer. Luke 35 states, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Generally, from a doctor's point of view, there is no explanation. But there is one explanation that should satisfy any doctor, gynecologist, pediatrician, and any human being, and that is verse 37, which states, For no word from God will ever fail. In other words, nothing is impossible for God. Believing that, Mary said in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. That one statement is the punchline of the entire story. That one statement is really what Christmas is all about. God can take nothing and create everything. God can take an old man and an old woman in their 90s and give them a child. God can take a virgin like Mary and give her the Messiah that the world had been waiting for. God can take on human flesh and come into the world as a man just like us. God can rise from the dead. God can forgive sin because nothing is impossible for God. I'm going to ask the praise team to take the platform once again for a closing song. In the meantime, listen. Christmas is exhibit A. That when you are in the waiting room, no matter how long the wait, never give up. You keep waiting because God is moving. You keep working because God is listening. You keep watching because God is coming. Do you know what the name Zechariah means? His name means God remembers. God remembers every promise he ever makes and God keeps every promise. And God will show up in your waiting room at just the right time. God is moving, always listening, and at the right time he will show up, come to you and keep his promises. Now please stand if you are able and let's proclaim joy to the world.